We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello, and welcome to the Ganymede and Titan Dwarfcast commentary for Series 12, Episode 3, Time Wave. Yay! It's the one you've all been waiting for. Right. And we're all really excited and very well prepared. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm Ian Symes, and joining me for this autopsy are Jonathan Capps. Hello. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. Uh, if you'd like to watch the episode as well as listening to the podcast, then please seek medical advice instantly. <laughs> but <laughs> if not, take your DVD or Blu-ray and place it directly in the fucking bin. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, line it up and press play at the end of these pips. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv Right, as traditional, uh, we start by looking at where this episode places in the Pearl Pole. So let me just scroll down. Oh, I finished scrolling. Uh, This episode is number 70 of 73. Controversially high, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, It is classed as the worst episode from Series 12, and indeed the worst episode of the Dave era. Um, It's only the Peets and uh, one of the Back in the Reds that's below it. Part three, uh, yeah. Yes. It's yeah. just so disjointed. It's again, it starts off with this. I mean, I mean, to be honest with you, that's quite a nice model shot. It is, yeah. I just mm-hmm. that. It's a really nice um, plate. <laughs> These spacesuits are incredibly impractical. <laughs> <laughs> are they? They are based on the original ones, right? <clears throat> Series two ones that we see. Oh, maybe, yeah. There is something about that in the documentary. Yeah. I think also the uh, yeah the series ten also there's like some level of similarity in them and the series ten ones. The helmet for sure is like it almost exactly matches the one that was used in remastered the remastered ship painting shot. Oh okay, yeah. um, like the the brow thing that it's got. And I do like the fact that the um, mountainy red dwarf logo is suddenly really prominent. On the spacesuits itself and on the flag. Yeah, it's very nice, yeah. So I'm just mentioning that because there are some positives. The, this episode does include one of the best jokes of the series, I've realised. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. It's the spit on the wrist one, isn't it? <laughs> Come on, spoilers. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. tree gag. Ungroped bottom in the BBC in the 70s. <laughs> I mean, that is the absolute pinnacle of the bad stuff that was happening <laughs> during the 70s of course yeah. <laughs> and this weird sort of again with the um, hanging a light on the helium 7 thing like that's going to become relevant yeah it kind of it does get mentioned again before yeah, the end of the series but not, yeah but it's not and... in this episode that it comes through and I know that it, no, that shouldn't matter it should be an arcing thing but does helium I mean, is helium in sand? <laughs> Does... Helium three is something that is on the moon. So that's a solid. It's it. 
it's a part of the what they call the regolith, which is the the sort of they can they can use helium if they can get enough helium. It's what Moon uh, is uh, based on the idea of they can mine helium three oh. off the moon. Uh, so helium seven, some sort of isotope of that. But helium three is an actual thing that you can get on moon like surfaces. Okay, cool. But yeah, it's it's actually can be used for like building stuff and fusion and all that kind of stuff. So building stuff that then floats away. But I think that Sunny Rim is fucking piss poor as a joke. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> it's funny. Planet Rimmer is funny, and Sunny Rim isn't. No, Discuss. It's <laughs> no it's it's a weird one <laughs> um it's just we, we've passed over it there but the uh demonstrating that the scottish will forever be in the drunken chair um, <laughs> for, for sitcom writers everywhere yeah be, be, because the majority of homeless people in london being scottish is hilarious this is such a good premise for an idea of an episode the idea of like you know, like a tsunami yeah. can be like displacing time and it can wave back and forth and things can happen, but mm. that whole concept is just used to just give you this. Just to give you the shit. Yeah. But it is, it's a brilliant central sci-fi concept. And then they just don't use it at all. It's such a shame that it's you can't use this again because it would feel mm. like as if you're redoing something for the sake of it, but you just... Well, it's like... There's so much potential because it's like a, like a, like a wave different bits of flotsam and jetsam can get swept up in it so it can't it's like mm. all that happens is one ship falls out of it uh, from 24th century earth but it could be like you know different bits of history get all picked up and mixed together and mm, dumped yeah. out but yeah, instead it's just this too. one ship yeah um which would what? which would feel like a genuinely new concept even if it would feel like a sequel to future echoes it would feel like a, a genuine good reason to do that idea again is to mm-hmm. have that concept and it would it would be quite cool to see like you know having pissing out and maybe that's what doug originally planned to do and then had to sort of got scale back had to scale yeah. it right back to this where <clears throat> you know well, we i do this. appreciate i do appreciate that he is still um creating explanations for like for uh suddenly loads of humans appearing yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> they've got to be out of out of their own time, they can't just be pulling across them. So that gag of uh, Crichton walking backwards and beeping, and this mechanoid is reversing, is quite a good yeah. little bit. It was always one of my highlights of this episode until <laughs> just this week. I was watching an episode of Justin's House, the uh, CBB's uh, sitcom, because I have a child now, <laughs> and um, Robert the robot, uh, the regular android character in that, did the exact same joke. We started walking backwards, beeping and saying, "This android is reversing." And His I checked name the date. Is Robert the robot. Yeah. Yes. So he can't even be asked to hide the fact it's trying to be Crichton. He <laughs> is quite Crichton-esque in look. Uh, but anyway, that episode was from 2015, which is before this. So Doug ripped off uh, Justin's house. Definitely, yeah. Robert it's the Robot is like a butler as well. Like, I mean, there's so yeah. there's a lot of Crichton in him, but um, yeah, the program itself is pretty much Mrs. Brown's Boys, but uh, funnier and with more respect for its audience. <laughs> but anyway, time wave. So we've uh, retconned Rimmer's um, school days as well. Now we're now having St. Trembles. As oh yeah, thing, which is where yeah. he was allowed to basically do whatever he wanted to do and. This social commentary straight out of the fucking nineties, as far as I can tell, like the 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 participation medal 
shit is one is is something that really gets my goat. Like, <laughs> like oh, you know, you can't criticize children, or you know, children just get medals for everything these days. It just seems so completely divorced from reality and lazy. <laughs> And yeah. this is basically the start of this sort of stuff that you get in this episode. Also, what was the hell was Lister doing with the Helium 7 at the start? Did anyone else notice that? He's like, he's, he's messing about with it. Or is that it, meant then... to be part of the whole thing? That is that what is that what pays off in Skipper or is that not? No, it's um, he's pissing about with it for whatever reason. Uh, but they use it later on in this episode yeah. to escape oh, okay. from the uh, prison cell. So it's almost like, oh, remember, <laughs> oh, we've, we've got this helium we did this, so we knew what was going to happen. <laughs> I didn't. I, I watched it last night, so I've just about got it in my head. Have we had the best gag of the series yet, Capsie? Uh No, no, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. It's, it's right at the end. Uh, I didn't say it was the best of the series. I said it was one of the best. <laughs> so of the don't build it up. Don't quote me on it. Already backtracking. Um, Crichton saying that he that like Crichton being so direct about Lister sucking at guitar seems weird. Mm. Um, but then I guess Crichton's never really been that consistent when it comes to whether he criticizes Lister or not. So. I think he just knows. It, yeah, it's sort of part of his program. He's allowed to criticize Lister, like to some extent, yeah. when it comes to his guitar because it's that bad. Kind of, He'll if it has him. a purpose, like <laughs> he wouldn't just criticize him for the sake of it. Or if Lister directly asked him, he'd probably like blow smoke up his ass. But he, he, he kind of does it in order to make a point. Yeah, to give an example to explain the premise. <laughs> I'm enjoying the nod to Edmore here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that's the second highlight of the episode, <laughs> <laughs> alongside the flag. Saint Trembles is a it is an amusing name for a school, though. Like, <laughs> it does feel very sort of either Dickens or um, or the Beano, yeah, sort of like Trun- Cruncham <laughs> Hall. You know what I mean? Uh, something to do with the fruit. Oh yeah, I think he's the <laughs> captain. I think he's the, the fruit. <laughs> I think he's a super fruit. Yeah, uh, he was the captain before Ziggy or something. No, Ziggy's not the captain. Oh. He makes reference to the captain. Oh, here and he here is. he is. Fucking joke. <laughs> so, <laughs> this costume is obviously we've said this before and it's been mentioned mm. before, but this costume isn't designed by Howard Burden. This was an existing costume that has been used in Spaced. I don't know whether yes. it was actually made for Spaced, but it was definitely used in Spaced. Which throws me immediately. It just <laughs> throws you the out, yeah. Second, yeah, the second I realise, I'm like, oh, that's Vulva's outfit. It's just, there's something about it that just like doesn't feel like Red Dwarf anymore, doesn't feel like Red Dwarf anymore. Mm. It, yeah, and yeah. Obviously, that's that's that sort of they very much influence the performance for the worst. So, okay, the performance is let's let's scrutinize the the kind of the central concept here. <laughs> so, we've got the everyone doing jobs that they're unsuitable for a bit. That's one part yeah. of it, and then there's the freedom of expression because you're free from criticism bit. <clears throat> which seems to be that everyone 
axe camp. Yeah. And the reason they're doing that is because no one's allowed to criticize the fact that they're acting camp. And that our crew are here. Not everyone acts camp. He does. He does. Um, the policemen have pink uniforms. There's the fruity flute person. There's the fruity flute person who but literally yeah, says, I am like, a fruit. I am, I'm dressed how I, how I want to. And that guy dresses a massive woolen penis. What the fuck is that? Well, yeah. A woolen penis. Absolutely nothing gay about that. <laughs> um, but they it's, love wool. Yeah. I, like the first half of that, the idea due to the lack of criticism, everyone's doing unsuitable jobs. There's something in that, um, as evidenced by Rob Grant's Yeah, there's probably a book in that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is a very similar premise. Um, I, I don't think it's particularly original or good, but the, you know, there's, there's something in that. But it's the other half of it that just instantly puts it on dodgy ground when you're talking about the freedom of expression and the way people act and the way people dress. Mm. Um and on the page, it's not necessarily a bad thing, um, but when you combine it with the choices that are made in terms of costume and performances mm-hmm. and uh, design yep. and everything else, it's they've the manifested it. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. Acci- possibly accidentally, or probably accidentally. There's no way that this can be done on purpose. I think it's incremental things that have happened. No. That have yeah. Just send out the wrong signals, and it's just... And it's the same. It's the same with Taiwan Tony, where on paper there's nothing particularly wrong with it as a concept. It's only because they decided to do that voice makes it slightly offensive. Let's wait until we see the script because he might have written the lines phonetically. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> but yeah, it's the same thing again. Where like funny idea. Let's add on another funny idea. Let's add on another funny idea. Like these are obviously subjective decisions. Mm, like yeah. they've made all these decisions because they think it's the funniest thing, but no one's then taken a step back and looked at the whole and realized, ah, what we're accidentally saying here is that, um, being camp or, uh, wearing clothing that doesn't conform to your gender stereotypes. Yeah. Uh, equals something that should be criticized, something that should have been beaten out of you. And the fact that, you are free to dress like this and act like this is wrong. Yeah. Uh, it isn't something that should be a message for a Red Dwarf episode, IMO. Yeah. Uh, and like I say, I don't think that was intentional at first. It's just that the cumulative effect of everything else that's layered on top makes that the takeaway message. That's that's it. It's 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 not just... It's, it's the sum of parts rather than individual problems. It's the fact that there's yeah. multiple individual problems that make it worse. But I will say that this particular section, this particular bit with the Crit Cop, and it's mm. probably damn it with fake praise, but I think it really genuinely reminds me of a Monty Python sketch. The way that mm. the use of um, synonyms for bollockings, like for arguments, <laughs> or but yeah. yeah, just the idea of like yeah. just taking a simple concept and then running with it with a load of wordplay. That's the thing. yeah, but then, yeah. yeah. But then cat, you know. I think it was a good scene until this bit completely ruins everything. I mean, because the whole thing of, I mean, Lieutenant Asshole is funny. That would be fine. And the idea stop, of stop of cat mis cat <laughs> misreading the situation. And being offensive is funny. What he says is yeah. awful. Yeah. And and this is the problem. There, there was a there was a milder version of this earlier in the diner as well, is that we're we're 
putting our kind of core crew th- in this in this situation and in order for it to work in inverted commas they have to be overly critical in a way that doesn't suit their characters like um mm. they, they had to stop themselves criticizing ziggy for how he was presenting himself like that that was the, the first time we saw ziggy and that that is the bit that says you know our crew think acting that way is wrong being that way is, mm. is wrong and then you've got lister just out of nowhere criticizing the food in the diner which he would never do yeah really rudely he didn't order the food, so why does he care? Yeah, right. and like, mm-hmm. and and then the cat doing that is kind of like the the ultimate. It's forced to, it's like the 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 means don't justify the end. Yeah, mm. we're warping our characters to fit this weird yeah. situation. Although here's a, a high point of the episode. <laughs> Joe Sim, do it, Joe Sim. <laughs> Hello, Dimension Jumpers. <laughs> <laughs> oh god bless him awesome. what, a, what an absolute gem by all accounts <laughs> there's something that Doug does quite well he's very good with um, guest characters and been just giving them a really unusual twitch hmm. I think this is a good performance and a good gag it's like a little pellet of decent episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> in this massive pile of elephant <laughs> Uh, it's fine. We've completely spoke over Johnny Vegas because his main oh, appearances are completely shame. overshadowed by Cat's misogyny yeah. against a fictional woman that he's just invented and decided has quote unquote droopy ass titties. Uh, but yeah, Johnny Vegas being in Red Dwarf is a good thing. Yeah, it's great. Tick that, tick that one off the bucket list. It's just a shame. Yeah. Mm-mm. Him and Joe Sim. Both of which Red Dwarf fans, both of which, you know, good, sort of in demand performers, both ended up in a complete shit episode. Mm. Both of them doing their absolute best. And like, the, the, Johnny Vegas' performance is <coughs> is good. Like, Johnny Vegas is good in this episode. It's just. Yeah. Because, he, you know, of course he is. He can't not be good. <laughs> yeah. Because Johnny Vegas plays one character, <laughs> and everyone <laughs> loves that character. So. Yeah, you know what you're getting. Yeah, yeah. This is Quentin's uh, hitherto unmentioned collection of isotopes that he keeps in his arm. <clears throat> I do like the fact that him and him and Rimmer are having like a kind of a geek argument about no, my collection is far more legitimate than your fucking collection, <laughs> you nerd. And like I, that, that's a that's funny, I think, as a as a concept because that is hundred percent happens <laughs> in in geek culture. <laughs> uh, there was that was quite a good punchline to that scene as well. I like, the, like um, Joe Sim tutting at the useful thing for stopping people criticizing you. <laughs> <laughs> they should yeah. they should be made out of paper. Because be no one can criticize the manacles. <laughs> yeah, they should have been um paper chains. That that yeah. yeah. <laughs> Daisy chains. <laughs> so the, there is a bit earlier as well that I noticed as well. Where they mention about the whole fact that the the moon's gonna go and it's like it just completely glosses over it. It's just, it's just I don't know. It's like they lose focus. There's yeah. There's absolutely literally the reason is that we need to deal with this. We need to deal with this shit because it's about to crash. But does 
anything happen with that? I don't think it, it's like, does any resolution kick in? Oh, it, it, just, does. it does. It does. It... It's just it's 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 never like every now and then we have to be reminded that's what they're trying to do. Yeah, it never feels like it's on the forefront of anyone's mind. No, until you know, it it kind of happens in the space of ten seconds towards the end after we've had all the stuff with Rimmer's inner critic and everything, which is another thing that doesn't feel like it belongs in the same episode as the rest. I do like the idea as well, like the, the the core idea of there's this kind of closed system on this on the ship that, you know, a socially closed system that's got this weird idea and has run with it and it's turned into a fascist kind of setup to, to enforce yeah. it. And that, that all it takes is our crew to come in and just throw like, you know, a grain of sand in the oyster and it's, it, you know, it like ends up changing everything. That's not the right analogy, is it? Uh, no. Because that happens really slowly. The spanner in the works. That's it. <laughs> um, Lister, literally, Lister is spanners in the works. The criticism extraction of work means that surely everyone's been that have gone. Yeah, this has this. been a while. Unless yeah. everyone's gone through this already, and therefore that's why it is the way this works. And look, the, the we will see the um, the the um, flute player turn up again. Again. Oh yeah, his little mini. Yeah, his little mini version. critic. Yeah. Uh, uh, another good thing about this episode: um, nice chunky analog computer systems in the yeah. background. Yeah. Just tape reels All whirring big tape around. Reels, man. But just every time this guy's on screen, he's awful. It's such a shame. Ziggy. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's his Jamie Chapman? is his name is quite good on twitter he seems like a decent person yeah uh it's just this performance is one of the worst performances ever in red dwarf <laughs> yeah because it completely ruins the epi- like this episode was never going to be amazing um and the you know there's plenty of other criticisms ironically <laughs> that you can level at it <laughs> but if it wasn't for him if it was just quite literally played straight then it would not be as bad an episode as it is yeah um but as it stands it's one of two episodes of red dwarf where they will always be my bottom two uh because they i can forgive <clears throat> something just being a bit shit mm-hmm. like god knows we've seen enough red dwarf that's just a bit shit over the years but the premise of this episode and one of the Crytie tv uh, is inherently offensive. Yeah, and you can dig a bit further into this. Is that oh, what is Doug trying to say about criticism? <laughs> uh, has he got? Uh, is is this him addressing criticism in the same way that he was addressing, you know, phone lines in um, <clears throat> calling, you know, support lines in uh, in Trojan? Like, um, <laughs> it feels a bit close to the whole like, well, you can't say anything these days because of snowflakes. Yeah. Um and even if he's not saying that, it's too close to that to, to that side well, of things, which is a huge like part of like I I, I don't want to say war, but just like, you know, this Well the the yeah, the phony culture war yeah. that's being whipped up by the press and right wing commentators in order to distract from the rest of the What's actually going, going on, on, yeah. But yeah, and I think that that 
you can't say anything these days attitude has got significantly worse in the last few years since this episode was made and so it's perhaps a bit unfortunate that it's been it's definitely a part of that same thread um and because that's got worse in the last few years this seems worse as a result now i think yeah it's like it's pretty impressive considering how much we hated this in 2016 17 whenever it was that we now think it's even worse <laughs> yeah it's got worse in the intervening years a hell of a makeup job this I'm is i'm going to say this is one of the most impressive makeup jobs you've ever seen on Rumor, to be honest with you. and it's, it's just incredible yeah. really good it's just also this voice we can't really hear it at the moment but um two maybe three hours yes yeah (laughs) also that um, warrants two hours w o o the self-loathing voice as well um it's exactly the same and all of those are aspects of rimmer rather than just chris berry playing other characters so it all ties in it all works Mm. Yeah, it's very consistent. Um, Rimmer ranking women is not out of character so much, but it, it just we could have just done without that in this episode. I think <laughs> there's enough right. going on. <laughs> yeah, she was. Yeah, we've we've had droopy ass titties and um, what we will call unintentional homophobia. Like we don't need <laughs> yeah. ranking women as well. I mean, this is a decent like concept for conversation like antagonizing rimmer's inner critic by criticizing it and defeating it that way i mean it's it is very terraformy it's it's almost like mm. the inverse of terraform it's like you beat all his negative traits with with positive emotions and in this you beat his negative trait by with, negative trait. W- with kung fu yeah <laughs> like t- t- turning his yeah <laughs> That's a funny noise that Chris Berry makes at the end there. <laughs> it's good. But yeah, and again, but like that whole thing was about what, a minute and a half, two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> That's like much and... like the time wave itself, you'd think that that is perhaps worth more as a concept than just being a means uh to get from A to B within a parable about how gay people are evil. And That's then, unfair. That's that unfair. Is unfair. But <laughs> but then Ziggy just completely turns on a dime with yeah. with with that one and a half minutes. Like this is presumably he is the one of the main perpetrators of this. Um, yeah. of, of this this situation. Yeah, like he he is the basically at the head of this fascist um movement, and he's just decided. Oh well, you used criticism to defeat that thing that wasn't really actually um threatening me in any particular way. Um, I guess I'll just reverse all my rules. All right. Yeah, so Wait a minute. There we go. Did we miss um, spit on a wrist? Yeah. Oh yeah, we missed spit on a wrist. We also missed the best joke um, um, in the episode and one of the, one best of the, in the same. Series. Surely. Um, <laughs> no. Well, yeah. Of course. <laughs> apart from spit on a wrist, um, <laughs> when Rimmer starts quoting um, Space Core directives and without missing a beat after he's finished saying the number says shut up Crichton and there's a cut to Crichton <laughs> going oh is brilliant yeah because it, it, that is a joke that has ta- that took 20 years to have its punchline and unfortunately its punchline is in this episode <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there you go Space Core Directives joke has had its punchline and it, it yeah, reverses me in a, yeah in a kind of self-referencing yeah. self-referencing and it's all in the performance right. as well. And, and, yeah. and fucking that ending. 
I, I'd, I was watching this last night and I'd forgot that this, as well as everything else, also has the exact same um, like sudden ending problem of series 11. It's just... Under, it just <sighs> Nothing was learned. Nothing. No one learned anything in any part of this. The audience, Doug, the characters... <laughs> Uh, it's down. I honestly think that a lot of these flaws in, in, in this end are down to production flaw things as you as you, as you were shooting and stuff that was weren't thought about until it that was can't done. yeah that can't have been the ending right I mean this is speculative but that cannot have been the written ending for this episode. Well, which is this one in the in the running of the production? When was it? Was this oh. this wasn't the third episode shot? Was it? It was the second, I think. Okay, that doesn't that doesn't help because I was going to say it was if it was one of the last episodes shot that would make sense, but because we've got now we've now well thank fuck because we've got three fucking belters coming up. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got three crackers coming up now, but I th- I thought twelve was pretty in order. Or am I completely wrong about that? Uh, I'm just double checking. Um, yes, Time Wave was the second one recorded. The first was. Uh, the one where everyone's Crichton. Oh, of course, right, yeah. Um, and I think Cured was third, and then the rest were four, five, six. Yeah, they're in order. Uh, um, so the rest of them are in the right order. Yeah. The three good ones. <laughs> My biggest think... problem with this episode is that, it, like, even from the title of the episode, you're expecting so much more than you get. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, I should set my standards really high because... You know, it's like, but like the whole explosive what time wave is like was like a really cool idea. I was like, oh, cool, we're going to something quite cool out of this, and it's like that is what we get out of it. Mm-hmm. And it's mm. such a damp squib. It's just really, it's just, it's just such a fucking shame. It's just <laughs> the episode God. wants to get us to the real meat of it, which is the criticism um, stuff. You know, let's let's get to the really good. Never mind the time wave, lads. Let's get to <laughs> my take on <laughs> criticism and skipping over the stuff that could have been good. And there's, there's lots of good stuff. Like I, I really like the scene early on when um, just after they've been on uh, planet Rimmer and they're just sat around. They're just chatting like they're having their tea <laughs> and they're chatting. Yeah. And that's when Crichton is kind of talking about guitar playing. It's, it's a standard sort of Red Dwarf scene. We usually get them in the Starbuck cockpit, but it's a slightly changed environment, and it actually feels quite new and fresh. And it's just like, oh, I like this. There's a lot more not on the encoding than I remember there being, because I remember the encoding being the majority of the episode. Mm. But actually, that's not mm. really the case. Probably about just, uh, just maybe just under half the episode. But yeah, it's just yeah, I don't know. There's just so many issues with it that I can't seem to get past. That's not going to annoy me every time I watch it. Yeah, it's 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 an episode that's got a m- kind of multiple problems, and I think that's maybe why we're struggling to articulate things very well. But like, it if you took out the criticism stuff or like the, the problematic stuff, let's say, um, you've still got the fact that there's not a lot of good funnies in here. Like Rimmer's yeah. um, obsession about Planet Rimmer um, in the scene in the in the cockpit, where he's like, "And save Planet Rimmer," and he repeats that about five or six fucking times, and it ne- it it doesn't get any funnier. That's like, you know, that is showing kind of a dearth of good funnies in this episode, and so it's got that to contend with. It's got the really botched analogies. It's also got the cat like being uh, yeah. Way too it's got the out of character. Rimmer. Well, no, yeah. the, the cat being out of character with in general, but also the cat constantly 
digging Rimmer. And it's like, we mm. get it. You don't yeah. like Rimmer. We get it. You're and right, just yeah. That con- like, within that scene, there are like four or five instances on the run of that joke. And it's just like... It becomes unpleasant after a while. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's just really... <sighs> Yeah, and actually, yeah. doesn't well, I, I Promise Land has exactly the same it. problem, doesn't it? Promise Land has the exact same problem, but it does something with it. Whereas this is just... It, yeah. it, it does it in a way that actually frames it in a different way that makes Rimmer think about it, rather than just being generally unpleasant for the sake of, I don't like you, or, you know, taking that one joke in Series 5 and turning it into an entire scene. <laughs> yeah. You know, quick let's the... for the bringing back is a funny joke in isolation. It's done. <laughs> Dusted, but then you stretch that whole thing out into like three or four instances on the trot, and it's just like, oh, just fucking stop doing that. It's, it's workplace yeah. bullying. <laughs> and yeah, on the promised land, that all pays off. There's a reason for it doing it. It helps develop the characters. Yeah. Here, it's just repeating the one joke over and over again. The whole thing's mm. padding. The whole the whole episode feels like padding. Yeah, it feels like a bottle episode that wasn't. It just I don't know. It's really frustrating because I don't want to hate this. <laughs> I don't want to hate episodes of a dwarf. I don't want to. I don't want to not like. But I you know I don't want to have episodes. I want to that I want to just not. I want to get through. I don't want that. I want an episode that I enjoy. And it's like this is the, yeah. genuinely the only episode of Red Dwarf that I gen, genuinely just can't. Watch you can't find anything. I, 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 there's no point. Like the, all of the stakes mm. are just like done at the end. There's no. There's no the inner critic thing is probably the best scene because of the way it's framed and all that rest you know and that's it's a really good thing but it's just such a shame that you have to like oh, wade it's... through twenty minutes of shite in order to get anywhere near it yeah and we we missed it in the thing but I I, I can't overstate how awful a joke um, when he said clitoris I thought he said spit on her wrist yeah. is. Because uh, like what? Yeah. <laughs> That's got a first draft of it and all over. It's a lot of nonsense. It doesn't even scan no, or write no, them properly, yeah. and it's a shit gag anyway. But it doesn't even work. A lot of this episode would have been cut from a, a from a, a you know an earlier run of dwarf. There would half of this would have not ended up in because it would have been f- yeah. like filler. I mean, the shape of it is makes sense. It's like you know, this is something that my brother. Like you know, I misheard and it caused me lots of problems. You know, decent premise, yeah. and it feels like oh, I'll write this down as a first draft of what it what, what that was. <laughs> I need to come back and you know make that make sense. But then that never happened. That's what it feels like. Well, another thing is in the olden days of um, when there was money in TV production, um, Red Dwarf went through a week long rehearsal process each and every episode uh, where. You know the the lines were read out and played with and workshopped and rewritten on the fly and improvised around until it was honed to the definitive version, and you simply don't get that anymore on virtually any program. Uh, certainly not Red Dwarf. So that solves a lot of problems of the odd gag here and there that doesn't work because you know once the writers have heard it enough times they'll they'll figure it out and change it. But it's also potentially one of the reasons why. There were, no one stepped back and realised. Oh, hang on! What we've yeah. <laughs> the combination of this dialogue with this costume and this performance um, is saying something that we don't want it to say. So it's like no one had because... time to check it, basically. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, there's no time. There's no money. There's no space in the schedule to breathe and take a step back and look at what you're doing. You're constantly under pressure to get the bloody thing made, so you just go for it. Yeah. And then it's only afterwards that 
you you know you look at it in the cold light of day and realize oh hold on oh shit <laughs> but you know that's not that's the same across the board like every sitcom um is having to deal with that it's not even that red dwarf is on dave i, I would i can't imagine there being many uh, BBC or ITV or Channel 4 companies that have a huge amount of time and budget at the moment. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, hardly anyone else, not necessarily hardly anyone else, but a lot of other programmes don't produce something as shit as Time Wave. No. And that is, and that's but on the other the hand, concept, they don't it? produce something as good as Lemons or MCOR or Skipper or The Promised Land or Insert Your Favourite Dave era episode here. Yeah. yeah, that's very true. So I don't know. You're right though, that but the the flaws are the the, the rush of production Flaws. is so visible in this in this episode, and it's it's like if that's going to be a problem, scale it the fuck back then because yeah, which is what they did to be fair. Well, if that's scaling it back, then they need to keep going. No, no, what they did is with Promised Land, they scaled it back to Promised Land. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, that. so Promised Land was yeah. using the resources in the right way and having the right amount of production required to to make that idea work in context you take mm-hmm. a big idea the big idea what's the big, the big idea, idea <laughs> and you, you you scale the production to match and i think basically a lot of these ideas like a lot of the dave era stuff in general that the idea is bigger than the production could allow yeah and it's to mm. its detriment because mm. you don't have i mean and like everything's like usually like first or second take as well and it's like the the crew and and, and and Robert in particular doesn't really have the time to kind of get his lines there's a lot of slurring and a lot of fumbling over a line and it being left in and it just it's yeah. it feels very rushed yeah i mean that's a that's a common thing with Robert throughout 11 and 12 isn't it and a lot of it was so again he was ill wasn't he at a certain yeah point. well wasn't he it was ill during Promised Land, mm. yeah, but I mean, but even but even before then, I just I, I feel like there was definitely something about how Robert was like, what well, was struggling with rehearsal times because again, re- like you said, Ian, rehearsal t- rehearsal times are so like minute that if like you miss a day, you basically miss the rehearsal for that episode, you know, because yeah. you've only got a couple of days, then you got to do location stuff, and then you're in the studio, um, or pre-record stuff, um, and. So yeah, you're you're right. Like Robert, like you can almost tell kind of how well the production's going by how well Robert is performing, because he's yeah. the one that needs the most rehearsal time because he's the one with the most challenging thing to you know performance to to to, to do. And then in Promised Land, he was like pitch perfect, even though he was ill. Like he was great. He was in in Promised Promised Land. Land. <laughs> yeah, this is not um, a criticism of Robert either. This is just a criticism no, no, of, no. of the general production process, which genuinely is visible on screen. Like every time you watch mm. a, a later Dave episode of Red Dwarf, is there's always that sort of like that just one take more feels like it would have been enough to you know at least just to yeah. splice or to even overdub. You know, how would that not have? fixed a lot yeah of and, that, and that's you know, just it's weird it's one of those luxuries isn't it of like doing and not I'm only not, doing yeah. adr but doing adr properly yeah. <laughs> which i assume is two completely different things um but if they didn't think anyone would notice they were wrong because we did <laughs> i'm going to take some positives from this um we never have to watch time wave again yeah uh instant reaction done review done uh commentary done yeah <laughs> 
We've ticked it all off, lads. We've I'm, done it. And the, oh, this really does my head because I really don't really hate being fucking. You don't want to think. Yeah. I don't want to be this guy. I really don't want to hate it. I don't. I really want to like. And like I said, there are some really good bits in this. It's just that there's not there's there's too much shit in the cake. <laughs> That's the saying. I mean, for me, any amount of shit in any cake is too much shit in the cake. Yeah. It's quite it's a lot of shit. Oh, do you know cake. what? This is an acceptable level of cake shit. It's an exceedingly <laughs> shitty cake. <laughs> Mr. Kipling There's a really lot of shit in this cake. one. <laughs> in fact, I'd say this cake is almost all shit. <laughs> is there any normal cake in this at all? Well, no. <laughs> Uh, in an unusual move, don't his bake to shit into the cake. <laughs> okay, I feel so sick. I, I want to. I want to go back to it. I want to go back to a single thing now. We saw Lister taking some helium seven out of the thing. Mm. Why? Yeah. Um, I don't know why you did it in the first place, other than just pissing about with Rimmer's stuff. But don't they use it to do that little explosion? They do uh, to get out of the jail. To get out of his boots. Oh yeah, they scrape it off his boot. Oh, okay. So oh. implied that he had it. I thought he had it planet. on his boot because he was on the moon. Yeah, because he was on the moon, so he scraped it onto. He's got. He said, "Oh, you can yeah. use your boot. We can scrape it." Oh, I'm there. misremembering it then. So there was no reason for Lister to be pissing no. about with the helium seven, unless unless because he did put it on the floor and he does stamp on it in that scene. No, so that I, is I, setting I it up know. for that. I don't know. I don't care. We've um, had enough of this now. <laughs> let's <laughs> uh, let's change the subject as quickly as possible. Please. Uh, by answering some questions and discussing some topics that have been suggested by our loyal listeners slash readers in the section we like to call Ah, so you're a waffle men, waffle men, waffle, waffle men, 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 waffle, waffle, waffle men, 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 ching, ching, ching. That's staining. Right, actually, I'm sorry, everyone, but we have a time wave related waffle. Yeah, it's been sent in by Nikki Hutchinson. You promised. Who points out that the pink policeman outfits. Uh, were holdovers from the Terry Jones film Absolutely Anything. And they provide pictures by comparison, so we'll put a link to the tweet in the show notes. Right. Very nice. That film was very... That film promised a lot and, again, didn't deliver. Like It was a film that had every single surviving <laughs> python in it, and yet it was terrible. Yeah, I mean, that, that uh, feels to me like... I mean, isn't that basically what every film that has all the pythons in it isn't a python film? Apart from a couple. Let's say it's an again a really cool good. concept, but just yeah, just a mess. Yeah. So, but congratulations, so those... Nikki! You have p- provided the official last bit of time wave coverage that Ganymede <laughs> and Titan will ever um, <laughs> do. Uh, it was also um, Robin Williams' last ever film. Oh really? Uh, oh, he played the voice yeah. of a dog. A dog. So, th- are those? Um, if this film was shit, and I've never seen it, but uh, by all accounts. I yours it accounts that this film was shit. Uh, is it the outfit's fault? Is well, it, it the be, uniforms might be that cursed. cursed? No, I think it's just 
you know, they, 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 I think they went for the Vulva outfit and then we need something to match. Howard Burden was on, on staff, wasn't he, for 12? Yeah. It, it's just, it is odd, actually. It feels unusual that, that, that they've got costumes from another production. Yeah. Well, that, that <laughs> points to some rushes, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I guess... Again, time and money. Yeah. That Howard has to prioritize certain things, and so like he's not gonna have the resources anymore to make absolutely every single uh, piece yeah. of clothing that you see on screen, and so a lot of them will have to be stock ones that are brought in or hired or rented or whatever. Yeah. I mean, where true. where else are you gonna get a woolen penis from? Well, that came from his own personal collection. <laughs> I'll send you some links, um, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> links um... in the show notes. <laughs> Anyway, enough foul time wave waffles. <laughs> Let's have some fresh non time wave related waffles. Stillian and Inspired by the clean off sequence in Siliconia, my waffle question would be What have been the biggest wastes of budget in Red Dwarf history? Spicy one. Spicy. Should we knock off the obvious ones to start with? Yeah. I mean, the legendary ones are the dinosaur. In series eight, and the Blue Midget Dance, also in series eight. And the reason we have these in our heads is like waste of budget, I think, is because of the, the script book, right? Because mm. Doug compla- uses it to complain about his budget. <laughs> yeah. And so we know that series eight had budget restrictions and had budget problems. And that was the part of the reason why Earth never happened. And so that has then changed into like us identifying what p- could possibly have been big budget drains in that series and blaming them for series eight being shit. Yeah. Um, and it seems to me that that dinosaur, even if it was taken out of walking with dinosaurs, hard drive would have been quite expensive <laughs> and um, the blue magic dance for sure. I mean, in terms of time the and the energy of actually animating the damn thing as well, like all yeah. the time and energy and production on, um, on hiring that happened, just like, you know, running into like weeks. Yeah. Hiring a choreographer specifically for it. Yeah. The famous Charles Organs. Because obviously they'd done that bit and like there was stories about, you know, Chris and uh, other people were sort of complaining that all their rehearsal time for uh, Parallel Universe was being taken up by that bloody song and dance routine. Yeah. But in that instance they ended up with something that was iconic and that has lasted and is, you know, a popular fan favourite to this day. And they plumped that amount of time and resource into the Blue Midget Dance, and uh, that is not particularly well fondly remembered today. No. Uh, to throw some egg yolk up the devil's ass, or as I like to call it, the devil's advocate, um, <laughs> is is the is the tongue tied dance good because it was done early on and before the show grew into what it like before it properly matured into an actual sci fi show, and it did it early doors, therefore. Are you saying are we biased about about? Yeah, are we kind of seeing this from a slightly (laughs) rose tinted view because it was an early day thing and it was so different and so unusual that you know. And if they did it now, we'd be apoplectic. We would be, yeah, we'd fucking hate it. You might be right. You know, I'm being probably unbelievably fucking negative for this podcast. I'm sorry. No, (laughs) I think. I think there's a lot to not like about Tongue Tide, to be honest. But we all we all like no, it. No, I, because... I like it, but I like it because it's, yeah. it's because it was one of the earlier episodes of Red Dwarf, and I think that that's because you could tell when Red Dwarf was trying to find its feet in terms of what it was trying to be and what it was trying to do. 
But yeah. once it kind of found its way into that, you know, series three, four, five thing where it kind of found its niche and found its 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 place, that if it started to deviate any further away from that, it would seem really weird. And then that's why when series eight came along, it did it again, mm. but seemed really jarring this time because not yeah. only was it jarring in the first instance that we were given a completely different setting for that series. It then went even further, and I know that it's because of the VR thing, so it's not technically real life and all the rest of it. So you should take everything that happens in that with a piece of salt. But <laughs> not all of Series Eight happened within the psychotropic yeah. things. No, yeah, and it makes no difference to the audience who we're still having to sit through a three, three or four minute hold up to the episode to see this dance, stupid fucking yeah. dance. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think. We had uh, by series eight, we have a very specific idea of what we think Red Dwarf should be, and anything that's going to get in the way and is holding that up um, is going to be unpopular. And I guess that's what t- taps into this waste of budget because obviously we're getting into areas here <laughs> of us talking out of our asses. We don't know how much everything cost, yeah. so we can only really guess what was a waste of budget. Um, and it's entirely subjective because yeah. one man's meat is another man's time wave yeah that's true however there are some things that we do know were a waste of budget because we've been explicitly told that they were a waste of budget but although they cost a lot of fucking money yeah oh yeah like for example maybe 90 percent of the money that was spent on the model shots in series seven were objectively a waste of money yeah because they were done and then not used yeah they started the model shoot early and they were basing them on early drafts of the episodes, um, which later got completely changed. And so a lot of the model shots made for Series 7 were unusable. Yeah. And so with very little special effects budget left, they had to do them on the cheap with CGI and thus Series 7. Yeah. It might well be the ultimate It's weird because example. doing it on the cheap in CGI in 1998 is... Quite That's weird, happy. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because doing stuff on the cheap in CGI doesn't sound cheap. It wasn't cheap in '98, and and that's why it's at the level that it's at. Presumably, I mean, I'm I'm assuming that it was quite a remarkable achievement at the time. Um, it, it's just it absolutely. It's just that was. you don't really notice like, it because it doesn't look like a remarkable achievement. It looks like a hot mess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's the yeah. problem. But, I think that's the difference yeah. is that over the years I've come to appreciate that, you know, we, there's no blame on the door of Chris Veal, no. who was the um, visual effects yep. artist, um, who it turns out did a lot of that stuff on his own, working all hours, God sends to try and get that stuff done. It's not his fault that it's not as good as the brilliant model shots that you had <laughs> for no. the first um, six It's series. no surprise. Yeah. It, yeah, it's certainly no surprise, but it's not like he decided to chuck out all the model shots in order to do CG because it was supposed to be better is that they didn't really have a choice. Yeah. Poor bastard does not deserve the stick that he got. No, there's a lot more control yeah. you have with yeah. the CGI model of a thing. But yeah, I think the money spent on models in that series might well be the kind of the ultimate example of this. Just mainly because yeah. it's the only one that we really know for sure was an actual waste of money. Yeah, I've never ever looked at Red Dwarf and gone, Oh god, I wish that like they haven't spent the money on that because every single penny you normally <laughs> yeah, see on the yeah. screen. It's mm. normally visible. Like every single penny that's been put into the budget is usually sure. It is a general concept. I would say it was probably a waste of money and time uh, to do the various attempts at trying to explain Rimmer interacting with things. So I would say the the hologrammatic uh, uh, projection cage in Thanks for the Memory and the mm. deleted scene from Series 3 where he's using the 
the gloves and the perspectives. I would say that was a waste of because it it ended up not being necessary. Therefore, you didn't need to try and do that. So you know, maybe <laughs> maybe you can classify that one. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very weird because obviously hindsight's always fucking twenty twenty. Yeah, isn't it? that's the thing. You can always look back and go, "I wish we didn't do that. I wish we didn't do that." On the subject of Red Dwarf Eight's budget, I was thinking about this earlier, knowing that we were probably going to answer this question. Um, and yeah, like you say, a lot of what we know about Series Eight, and particularly the budget, comes from um, the Series Eight script book, in which Doug um, makes the comparison that Red Dwarf Eight had the same budget as <laughs> Dinner Ladies. Um, and I don't think that it—I don't know—I can't remember whether I've talked about this before in the many years since that book was out, but um, I don't think that's the comparison that that's making the comparison that he wants to make. No. Because the thing about Dinner Ladies is you look at it and go, well, that's just one set and Red Dwarf's this really complicated thing that requires more money because it does this. But there's a couple of things there. With Dinner Ladies, they shot every episode twice. Mm -hmm. They shot it twice in front of two different audiences. Each episode took the best takes from each bit and made bashed it together to create the, sort of the ultimate version of the episode. Okay, so it's done between two separate audiences. So I always thought it was one studio recording and then an audience recording and then they did uh, then they did a bit of a switcheroo between... I think so. I might yeah. be wrong. I think recording a, the whole episode without an audience isn't going to be that much more expensive than the normal way because you're doing a load of audience-lessness. Uh, audience oh, yeah, you just PTs shoot the rehearsals. Anyway. You just shoot the rehearsals, yeah. You're, you're, yeah. you're essentially shooting the rehearsals. Um, so yeah, having it as two audiences because American sitcoms do this a lot as well. But the point being, you've shot an episode, an entire episode yeah. of a sitcom twice. Yeah. So basically, an episode of Dinner Ladies costs two episodes. I, I, of I think Ladies. the money, the money spent yeah. on yeah, well, series eight. I guess series eight has a big cast. So I was about to say that the cast of Dinner Ladies was probably more expensive. That was my second point. Is that. Um, they've just spent their money on different things in yeah. Indian ladies. Um, so it's all set in one place. So they've just built one big set and it never, they never ever move away from that set for the whole series. Yeah. But instead they have dozens of people coming in and out of that canteen. The core cast, it contains some of the finest actors yeah. <laughs> and some sort of comedy performers. They've spent their money on Julie Walters and Celia Imry and Anne Reed and Thelma Barlow and Maxine Peake, etc. They haven't spent it on CGI dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> so ultimately, Dinner Ladies is not a cheap sitcom. They've just spent their money in a far more effective way. And ultimately, Dinner Ladies is a far better sitcom than Red Dwarf 8. And Dinner Ladies was BBC One, wasn't it? Yeah. So it was primetime BBC One, which would naturally have a bigger budget anyway. So it sounds to me like Red Dwarf was getting a budget bigger than its position as the BBC Two flagship company. Yeah. Because it needed it. <laughs> I would put money that Doug would give his other leg for um, Red Dwarf 8's budget now. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. in comparison, because yeah. things have only gone down in the meantime. Yeah, but yeah. even though, I guess, the cost of certain things that Red Dwarf relies on, uh, like effects, I guess, has probably gone down relative quite nicely. Uh, that's probably the only reason why you're able to make it these days is because presumably getting the... Actually, no, but they still use models, so they're still doing the expensive option. 
but they did. But a lot of the compositing and all that stuff is a little yeah, more easy that's these true. days. There's no more need for motion control. That kind of stuff can be dealt with in other ways other than having mm. a motion control camera. You can. They have more tools in their belt now. Yeah, absolutely. And they can pick yeah. the best one for each particular job. You know, I'll, I'll be willing. I mean, this is like speculation alert, but I would imagine there are some professionals in this industry that who are working on Red Dwarf that might end up having lower rates just for red dwarf like yeah. you you can imagine that being a thing like if if either if any of us were in that position yeah. you would think you know there's something special about red dwarf if you've got a connection to it either from your childhood or from working on it in the past you're gonna you'd probably take below your normal rate yeah, yeah. just to get the gig how many times have we heard this story where there is no money in the budget and yet the people are willing to basically put themselves out in order to make things to do things for the show because they love the show yeah yeah um, um uh, probably it, i mean for the model yeah. font model unit and bill pierce and all the rest of it like yeah. seriously oh, yeah. i mean some i would imagine some i would imagine there was some maybe some goodwill squandered at certain points in the show's history but like bill bill pearson in series eight like he saved like a whole like various sequences like he just pulled out of nowhere there's still some of the, some of the best like the starbuck crash in back in the red is one of the best one of the best special effects the show's had Oh, I've thought of another thing that was made but then abandoned was the making of Series 6, yes. uh, which was going to be a special, either broadcast special or video special, um, that didn't end up happening. Eventually, the footage did get used on the Series 6 DVD, and so it was worth it that yeah. we now have that record, that contemporary record of behind-the-scenes filming on Series 6. It's a shame we didn't get that, actually, because that would have been really cool to have. I mean, we got yeah. a book, didn't we? Yeah, we also got the making of Back to Earth being a televised thing is kind of the spiritual successor. Mm, Yeah. And then obviously from series 10 onwards, the DVD documentaries fulfill that brief being something that's made alongside the series showing the making of. Anyway, let's have another waffle. Yeah, the the documentaries are absolutely categorically not a waffle. All right, okay, to wrap this up, to wrap this (laughs) up, what's worse, (laughs) Pete the Dinosaur or the Dance? Let's solve this right now. Well, in terms of waste of money... I would say that the dance is worse because you can take that out of the episode and yeah. it'd be no different. Yeah. <laughs> it would probably be better. Uh, whereas at least with Pete, at least they got a plot out of it. Yeah, that's true. At actually. least it was integral. And a decent joke as well. Follow the rimmer-shaped blurs, not bad. Yeah, yeah. there's so, one decent joke in the whole of those two episodes. <laughs> so the Blue Midget Dance, we're saying that is officially the biggest waste of money in Red Dwarf and we Definitely, know that for sure. because we've been through all the paperwork yep. we've identified <laughs> what everything costs in the whole of Red Dwarf and have objectively decided what's good and what's bad yep. so um, there you go, you got your answer still United the biggest waste of budget on Dwarfcast is the amount of money Danny is spending to adding more and more effects to our still United in post that's just one bloke in his bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking truth, I was getting paid. <laughs> you do it for the love, you take less than your usual fee. <laughs> yeah, I work for mates, right? Space Worm Jim, he's such a groovy guy. Space Worm Jim, a hero for all time, has uh, asked, what's the longest you've gone before you've noticed a plot hole or retcon? 
Example, it was only last night I realised Hollister's report on Rimmer and Skipper mentions that all of Rimmer's brothers were successful in the Space Corps, which contradicts Howard's confession in Trojan. It took me just over three years to notice this, which makes me barely more than a casual fan. Naturally, I will commit suicide immediately. <laughs> Firstly, I don't think that's actually an error, because why would Hollister know that Howard was lying? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So the real error is in this question. So he's wasting Space our time gym. and should still... <laughs> delete his account <laughs> actually I'll do it I'll delete your account <laughs> so how long has it been since we discovered something that that, mm. that doesn't make sense well it's the longest gap yeah you like when you just suddenly realise like you didn't notice as a as a credulous child and then you realised like, like years later and I honestly can't really think because I've been like in my experience it's probably all focused on one moment in 2001 when I first started digging around on the internet for Red Dwarf sites, and every single one of these examples would have been me reading the pip. For anyone who doesn't know, the Plot Inconsistencies Project, which was a uh, document that was put together on alttv.reddwarf back in the Usenet days. Ask your grandparents what Usenet is. But we'll put a link to that in the thing. It's worth looking back on the pip every now and then. Oh, yeah. Have we, we... We've rehosted the pip, haven't we? We yeah, have. yeah, yeah we've, got, got, we've got a version seven. I think that's on the old domain as well. It is on the old yeah. domain. It is. <laughs> I mean, if probably if you listen back to Dwarfcast commentaries, they're probably all documented. All the instances of one of us realizing something about an old, old episode. Oh no, fucking hell! I've got an example that occurred to two of the three of us. Well, it's not a plot hole or a retcon, but it's something about an old episode of Red Dwarf that occurred to us about a three, two or three weeks ago that Camille in Camille is named Camille because she's a chameleon. Oh, there, yeah, is, yeah. There, there is so many examples of this shit where... Okay, and that's... So if you, you, know if, you remove, if you remove it being a plot hole and just being a thing... Yeah, then, something yeah, about an episode yeah. of Red Dwarf. That took us over 30 years oh my God. Uh, for me and Capsie to realise that. And just for the record, Danny already knew it (laughs) it's the kind of thing where i am usually the one who doesn't fucking get something until 35 years later i didn't know what gooseberry meant until a couple of weeks ago and that's in camille so that's my one so i've already cancelled it out do you know what it's really easy in red dwarf to just take something that you don't immediately get as a thing and just think oh it's just a it's just a weird insult type thing that they've did they've plucked out of the air like gooseberry because it did it took me years until i actually realized oh yeah gooseberry is the odd one out is a third wheel, third wheel. It's a crowd kind of thing. Yeah, and but yeah. but then yeah, you don't really make the connection. But we do have so many of the instances of this where, like, you know, as you grow older, you you spot something that's like, hang on, how the hell is that? I mean, like, backwards was one of those ones where, as a kid, you don't question it, and then later on, you you try and work yeah, it out, and yeah. then it, it yeah. just, the, the second you try and work it out, it falls apart. The thing is, when you were that's a kid... That's probably the one, isn't it, backwards? For, to go to the original spirit of the question, backwards for most people is going to be the one where you just think, ah, hang on a minute. Yeah, Everyone knows, How'd everyone remembers when backwards was first ruined for them by some smoke cunt. Yeah. <laughs> it's the taxi yes. one yeah. in particular that's the one that makes no sense. Is that it <laughs> yeah. gives him the 50 pence piece. The, the way it falls down is things get revert, but only in localised pockets. So the process of paying gets reversed, yes. but not the logic of when you pay and like things like that. Yeah. When you're a kid, you're at your most credulous in your entire life. So basically, as soon as you're presented with something, you accept it and put it in a 
bucket in your head and it stays there into adulthood and so you hear gooseberry or you hear camille and you don't get that it's a it's a, a reference you just put something. it in like this is the name of this character and i am not questioning that ever again yeah. because that's what i've just been told and then as soon as you're forced to question it again you go oh well, yeah that's really obvious it's like if you if you heard the word camille now as a character in Red yeah. Dwarf, Dave Eru, when we're 30 odd, you'd be like, oh, it's because she's a chameleon. Yeah. You wouldn't think about it. And I think I only worked it out when I was like, I, it was probably about 10 years after I first saw it that I worked it out. So it wasn't like an immediate thing. I was like, oh, that's obvious. It was like, even I took it, took, it took a while for me to, to, to click it. The first time I heard the name Harley Quinn, Joker's best mate, <laughs> and I just accepted, oh, her name is Harley Quinn. Okay. And for decades and decades, that character was called Harley Quinn to me. And then I was watching The Masked Singer with a Harlequin. And <laughs> I was watching, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> she's called Harley Quinn because she's a Harlequin. And I hadn't got that ever. And I put it on Twitter and it turns out that literally the entire fucking world all got it immediately. And I'm an idiot. But like, it is amazing how much of a blind spot your brain can. <laughs> yeah. Correct. If we're going to go down that road, it's it's vocoder in the red dwarf thing. I mean, oh yeah, that's definitely one of those holy shit moments. Yes, some people were just like, I heard it, I knew it was there, but until you ask about it, did they fuck? Well, that's the thing. No, I genuinely think there are people out there who heard it and didn't think it was unusual because they just yeah. when you assume something, you assume everyone else knows the same. You assume everyone's your personal experience of something is the only thing you've got to go on. So you yeah. can't possibly yeah. think that no one else thinks the same way you do because that's all you've got. So until you hear someone else's experience, mm. only until you point it out and someone goes, "What the fuck?" That's the penny drop moment when yeah. you realize and that's that no got to be the ultimate. That before in modern fandom, that's got to be the ultimate penny drop moment that we've had. <laughs> yeah, that's the the biggest holy shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, just when you think that nothing new can be discovered, it's something you've heard thousands it. of times. Yeah. Again, not really in the spirit of the original question, but like, you know, <laughs> there's there's lots of things that can kind of, I don't know, pass you by. Well, is Series 8's plot inconsistency that, that Red Dwarf has always had a prison in it? <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I that's, think the that's idea is that the prison only exists. Like, did the nanobots create the prison? No, they can't have done it. Uh, they make no. it as if it was always there. Yeah, it is. it, it must have been always there because... Like Hollister and everyone are oh, and they've added a prison. Yeah, well, here's the thing that I've literally only just realised now is that if they've got a prison, then why did Lister get put in stasis rather than just put in prison? They've only got a few stasis pods. It seems very like expensive to punish him that way rather than just putting him in the brig. I mean, my, my biggest issue is not with the fact that there's a fucking prison on ship. No. My biggest <laughs> issue is the fact that there is an inmate population of four thousand. <laughs> and there is only 1,169 people on the ship as crew. Yeah. That's a maybe serious fucking oversight. Maybe they've outlawed criticism. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. It's almost like as if it was invented for, to make the show work. Yeah, with no thought about what went before. Like in Speaking of which, uh, we're carrying discussing Last Human in the uh, Red Dwarf Book Club. <laughs> coming soon. Yeah. Okay, time for one last waffle. Uh, and this is from Quinn Drummer. Dave era lines slash quotes that have entered your everyday speech. I uh, thought of this whilst going through old dwarf casts and how you guys regularly mention things like don't give me that Star Trek crap became phrases you often repeat. 
Mm-hmm. So is there anything from the last 12 years? Yes, 12 fucking years. Red Dwarf has been on Dave longer Jesus. than it was on the BBC at this point that has slipped into your everyday-ish usage. Red yeah. Dwarf has been on Dave longer than it's been on the BBC. Yeah. Yeah, it was on the BBC for 11 years. Yeah, we're not counting the gap been... in the middle from like yeah. 98, or sorry, 99 to 2009. Okay, um, that's, that's a revelation I don't, I'm not enjoying. No, the Dave era good. is the same length as the BBC era. Good lord. Right, okay. Yeah. Anyway, for me, what a very strange day from Crisis is used quite often. Yeah. Uh, he hath risen? Yeah, I do use yeah. that one quite a lot. Especially because I've got a cat called Lister, and every time he wakes up, I do say that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> also from Lemons... Um, I come in search of X in general. Yes. <laughs> it's become a phrase. In uh, my yeah, head. have you got any lemons? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're mostly from lemons. <laughs> He's so cute and snuggly. <laughs> it's become, yeah. When talking to my daughter about her soft toys or whatever. <laughs> is she is she old enough for, to be introduced to Mr. Rat at this point? I don't think anyone is. Well, it's not in the... Um, if not in any of the parenting books we've got, no. when is the best time to show your child Skipper? I'm 36, <laughs> mate, and I'm not ready. So. I'm not. I've, I've never been ready. Ten is maybe the the last one that, as a group, we all kind of had a shared consciousness almost with, like a yeah. shared pool of quotes because we watched a lot of that together, and we didn't really well, manage you to and, do yeah. that. You and I were living together. Yes, for back to earth in ten, so we had years for them to. Which come into a drunken conversation. Yes, exactly. The sort of that that is the cradle in which massively unused quotes, are, you know, are born. Basically, yeah. we're like uh, weekends in the same house. Uh, I tell you what, a, f- a phrase that we use from series ten a hell of a lot, which is uh, "Thank you for listening to Gene Two Dwarfcast." I hope you <laughs> I hope sometime <laughs> in the future you'll come to listen again. Have a safe one journey. Goodbye. It's weird actually because it because <laughs> because a lot of the stuff that. I end up saying is some sort of reference to something like <laughs> yeah. being, uh, it's really hard for me to go oh yeah I do that because it's so automatic and so autopilot yeah, that I probably don't think about the fact that that's from something well our pre-Dwarfcast chats are usually about I want to say 40% League of Gentlemen 30% Father Ted <laughs> like <they're, laughs> it's it's just how we talk to each other pinch of partridge, not just with, yeah pinch of partridge it's not just Red Dwarf it's like it's, it's everything comedy, that we share just, yeah. as a yeah yeah it was from uh, Trojan oh um, Mooses Anytime, anytime anyone mentions mooses or Sweden, yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. some reference. It's to that usually scene. it's usually some prompt. It's not something we yeah. do kind of like yeah. on, on the automatic. There's normally some prompt like juniper is a word in this house that juniper bushes. Exactly. It's like <laughs> like my dad used to do it all the time. They used to be, used to call them um, call them code words, and it's like whenever he used to say that word, it would it, it would immediately do that to your, to your brain, and you would immediately <laughs> yeah. start doing it. My uh, my stepdad loves quoting. Ooh, you lucky bastard. <laughs> well, that's it, yeah, Matt's manacles book. is one. Manacle, oh, manacles, and it's like yeah. <laughs> that would trigger a thing. It was a bullet. It is the the condition that we have. Early millennials just talk in <laughs> in cultural references. <laughs> yeah. Like um, it's one of the main things we kind of share. You know, stuff from the you know our sitcoms from the eighties, the stuff that we just watch over and over again. That was the centre of our entertainment as kids. TV was the thing. There's now lots and lots of different things 
that you can kind of get lost in as a mm-hmm. as an adolescent as a kid but when we were kids it was television and pretty much it your vhs collection and that's why you know things get embedded in your brain and that's why we talk in quotes because of that i mean i had a tv in my room from age seven onwards i think which is wow quite you must be rich <laughs> just endless fucking endless <laughs> no. and that's just rewatching vhs's over and over and over and over and over again and i i would imagine like kids and young teenagers they don't tend to repeat watch stuff as much uh, this is a complete no. guess we've got too much stuff to watch to, to yeah there's repeat. so much new stuff yeah which is a good they thing have, but yeah but I can't believe I'm so close to like saying in our day, we didn't have as much, like we're talking about having like basically still a huge amount of visual media to consume when we were kids. But like, yeah. uh, you know, saying in our but day, it was, we couldn't have, yeah, we had less. It was finite. It was finite. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the reason I, I know that this is probably the case for kids these days is because I basically live the same life I did when I was a kid, apart from just the, the addition of two major kind of adult responsibilities being work and a kid but other than that my leisure time is is still just doing the exact same things i did when i was a kid but i know now that i don't rewatch things as much as i used to because who's got fucking time to rewatch anything you've got another new thing to watch you've got yeah there's too much <laughs> yeah. um so you don't get things embedded in you it's, it's, as much. it's true it's you, you end up watching like a lot of the new stuff it's like i watched once and enjoyed it and gone well that's it now i don't need yeah, to go that's back it. to that but I'll there are shows from, from the it. 90s that i will go back to i will go back to blackout i will go back to red dwarf i'll go back to space and i will watch mm. those in their entirety but new shows i will be very reticent to try and revisit those mm. because they're and it's not because same. they're worse no 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 it's just they don't feel I mean, they're, 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 they probably they, are but they're not part of my <laughs> habit they're not part yeah. of the thing i do in my life they're not you know yeah. they're, they're not part of that that fabric of my day-to-day life there, there is an element whenever there's new red dwarf that kind of stresses me out <laughs> that yeah. it exists because series one to eight probably even though of series seven and eight you've usually Brackets slightly differently, but from series one to eight, I know those episodes back to front because I watched them over and over again many times at an impressionable age, and they're embedded in my head. And I know that I will never be as familiar with Back to Earth onwards as I am with series one to eight. And I like I want to have an encyclopedic knowledge where I can just remember absolutely every aspect and quote things endlessly, and have as many lines from the Dave era in my everyday lexicon as I have from the BBC era. Yeah. Well, that's uh, basic math, prob- isn't it? That's just basically because you're always going to because series one you're going to like you should be the most familiar with, and then it should be series two, then three, then four, then five, then six. Well, yeah. But I'm saying like the newer stuff, you're going to have you're going to not want to watch that because that all that would mean you'd have to well, no, balance because the way. I don't need to watch uh, a series one to eight episode in order to remember everything that happens in it and to be able to quote most of it. Um, so it's not that I have to keep that knowledge topped up or anything. It's not like I would watch everything over again. Um, but the fact is, like, I I will never have time to watch Mercocracy as many times as I've watched Marooned. If even if I never watch Marooned again, I will never catch up because I don't have time to rewatch things over and over again. So I, it's a shame <laughs> that being an adult prevents me from seeing the Dave era as much as I've seen the BBC era. Mm. And you just don't have the same brain anymore either. Like, I don't, yeah. like our brains aren't set up to enjoy rep- rep- repetition as much as a kid's is. 
so we wouldn't ever take it even if you were forced to watch time wave as many times as you've watched marooned you wouldn't have you wouldn't have it in your head as clearly or in the same way as marooned anyway yeah it extends to other tv series as well like i mean maybe the last time i was ever predisposed to this was lost so 2004 to 2009 every episode until maybe the last series i'd watch each episode three four times sometimes five if it was a really biggie i couldn't imagine watching a tv show like that now no matter how much it was mystery based and grabbed me i could not watch it more than twice if that yeah and doctor who as well every episode used to be three or four times like because i was just so i just loved it so much and like you know you were just waiting for the next episode so you watch the one you had as much as possible again like that's it just seems like a completely different attitude back when we had less that's never going to happen when uh chris chibnall is the uh, showrunner <laughs> no the exact opposite is going to happen i would like not watch the episode and then do something that makes me forget one chibnall episode that i've seen previously and just do that a few times and eventually i'll just forget everything he's ever written for the show have we answered that question or have we just bollocked on about something else no, we did. Yeah, we gave okay, some examples, yeah. and then we started bollocking on. But yeah. that's the kind of the waffleman. That is... That's the waffleman way. <laughs> <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, just about wraps it up for this edition of... Ah, so you're a waffle... Waffle, 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 man, waffle, man, waffle, man, waffle, man, waffle, 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 Broadcunting has. <laughs> anyway, that wraps it up for another Dwarfcast. They say we've successfully got through Time Wave, everyone. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, our next podcast will be the next edition of the Dwarfcast Book Club, covering the first half of the third part of the third book, <laughs> Last Human. It's as simple as that. Well done. <laughs> so, do join us for that. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, us, if you want to touch us, then the best way to arrange that is by leaving a comment over at www.ganymede.tv or on social media. Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. But until next time, stay at home, uh, stay safe. Uh, Statham Jason is an actor. Uh, <laughs> And as always, Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Are we already <laughs> scraping the battle? <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was meant to be... It was meant to be... What, uh, was it... No, I was going to say... Lee Bowden, is it? Oh, there's a there's a uh, um, who Volvo was based on was meant to be based. Vol- I've just typed Volvo into Google. Do not do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh.